Lynn. As Mac mentioned, he's been in this series, um, Pros and Cons, Decision-Making for Geniuses. And two weeks ago, he talked about the number of decisions that we make every day. And he said, we make 227 decisions every day, wait for it, about food. (laughs) And I thought, oh my word, that is unbelievable. And he went on and he said, there is so much science that shows how exhausting it is to make so many decisions every day. And that the study showed that many people said that the three toughest decisions to make were what to eat, what to wear, and what to watch. What to eat, what to wear, what to watch. And you made a little joke like, who, do, who you marry? Well, okay, that's, that's kind of, but what to wear, what to watch, and what to eat. And so I started thinking about it, and I thought, oh, my word. You know, decision fatigue is real. And coming up to the conference, I have so many decisions that I have to make. We are making decisions every day about the conference. And so I want to be at my best. And because my brain, it, it's possible that it exhausts a little more quickly than other people's. But my brain is going all the time, so I thought, how can I simplify? And Fearless Mom, we've been talking about overwhelm. So all this overwhelm and the overwhelming number of decisions that we make each day and the overwhelming number of decisions that we have to make about the conference, and we know that the cure, the appropriate response, the remedy, if you will, for overwhelm is just simplicity. Making life as simple as possible. We call it ASAP as simple as possible. And so I'm listening to Mac talk and in between services, I said, oh my gosh, Mac, I figured it out. If the three toughest decisions that we make are what to wear, what to eat, and what to watch. What to watch is easy. We only watch British crime shows. So take that off our list. And so I said, what? That's already settled. That's already settled. That's not a decision for us. British crime shows, if you have any good ones, we'll add them to our list. So um, what to wear. I'm gonna wear the same thing for the next six weeks. And so I'm not going to make any decisions about what I wear. I was so happy when I made that decision. And I was like, that's gonna be amazing, the same thing. And then I said, and I've already decided we're wearing this, uh, we're eating the same thing for lunch every day until the conference. And it is salad and a protein. And so I said, then I will make a meal plan because I will batch decision make. And so I said, a 10 to 14 day meal plan. I typed it out beautifully because I recognized that when he says, what do you want for dinner? It triggers me and sends me into a tailspin. And I like, he doesn't care. He would make his own sandwich, but for some reason it triggers me. I know I'm not alone. Raise your hand if it triggers you. If somebody says, yes, see, oh my word. I feel the same way though. We talked about that because I would be like, I just, I don't care. I just don't want to make a decision. And I was feeling the same way, which was not helpful. No, it wasn't. It, it was not. And, you know, you can only order pizza so many times, especially on Whole30. And so I decided, <laughs> yeah, so many like, times is zero. this is what we are going to do, y'all. It was amazing. I learned on the third day that wearing the same outfit for six weeks was not a reality because in Texas, <laughs> our weather changes every four days. And so what I, and you do have to wash things. And so I decided that for the next, well, now I only have four weeks left. I am only wearing like five things. It's amazing. It's, I wore this yesterday, so it was a rewear, you know? It's like, how many days in a row can I wear the same thing? It's like becoming a game for me now. And so I love it. Well, here's what I want to tell you that that's right for me. Some of you are horrified at the notion, including my daughter when I said it out loud. <laughs> and I hope my mother is not watching And let right me now. say this too. Because she too would be mortified. Let me say this also. 
Julie's definitely washing the clothes. She's not just like wearing them for a couple of months. I mean, that, she's practicing good hygiene. Yeah, uh, for sure. That's why I had to like not wear the same thing. I realized on day four, like, oh, that needs to go to the cleaners. But I love it. But what is helpful for me may not be helpful for you. And the way to simplify my life and the way to respond to all those decisions, the overwhelming decisions, what is wonderful for me may be miserable for you. What is a dream for me may literally be a nightmare for you. And that's okay. But we embrace the responsibility. Now that we all have that information, we are faced with a, a you know, a huge number of decisions every day. We know that there are choices we can make and actions we can take to simplify our lives. Now it is our responsibility to do so, so that we can live the lives that we are created to live. Galatians 6, 4, and 5 says this. Pay careful attention to your own work. For then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. As we say in Fearless Mom, you do you, I'll do me, and we'll cheer each other on along the way. The goal here is to say, okay, God, what are you calling me to do to embrace responsibility to live the best life that I'm created to live? All those decisions, 35,000 a day, and in some seasons, even more. And some of them are big decisions. What job should I take? Where should I live? How should we educate our kids? Who should I marry? Who should I date? What, yeah. There, it's overwhelming, and so what we have the opportunity, actually I believe we have the responsibility to look at that realistically and say, okay God, what can I do to simplify my life? And this is what I know to be true. You make your decisions based on your values. You make your decisions based on what is important to you. Whether you realize it or not, if you pause, if you press pause and say, let me look at the decisions that I make, they're based on your core values. So that's what we're gonna talk about today, core values and how to press pause, articulate your core values and then live them out because it will simplify your life like you can't even imagine. Here's the definition of core values. Core values are beliefs that determine choices and desires. Beliefs that determine choices and desires. Core values are simply truths and principles that you hold so dear you may not even realize it. It goes to the core of who you are. And the choices you make and the actions you take are a result of your core values. And when you choose to take the time, now when you choose to make the time, yeah to articulate your core values, you will simplify. When you clarify, you will simplify. When you clarify your vision and values, you will simplify the overwhelming number of decisions you make every day. And that's one of the things that we have learned by studying scripture and by just living life. You know, we've now been married more than a minute. And so when you've done life together for 31 plus wonderful years, Romantic years. Ro highly romantic. Sorry, go ahead. Highly romantic. I was going to come back a few times, I feel like. <laughs> but when, when you do life together, you accumulate stuff. Stuff in your house, stuff in your relationship, stuff in your family, stuff in your mind and your heart. And so to clarify, what do I have to have? What are the non-negotiables 
that drive my choices, that drive my desires, that's where you start to answer that question, and that's where everything starts to really and truly open up, and when you are deliberate and intentional about it, that is where the good stuff is. That is where you start to go, okay, and, and here's what happens. When we do that, so many decisions are made for you. You've already made them if you've clarified, if you've articulated your, va- your vision and your values. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. Incredible life verse. I'm going to read it from the King James Version, but I want to talk about it briefly. Proverbs 29, 18 says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Now that sounds like a great cliche, like man, we should put that on the wall in the office where there is no vision, the people perish. And, and it is good because it is actually true. It comes from the word of God. But I, wanna, I want us to make sure that we understand what that means. This passage was written for the King James Version of the Bible. It was written in the 17th, the beginning of the 17th century. The English language has morphed a little bit. The truth of God has not changed at all, but the language has. So when it says where there is no vision, the people perish, what God is saying in his word is where there is no divine revelation, people cast off restraint. Where people don't hear from God, they run wild. One translation of scripture actually says with no vision is a people made naked. Isn't that a fascinating translation? If you don't have a vision, if you don't have a revelation, divine guidance from God, you are exposed. You are are at the end of yourself already. That's why we come back to Scripture. That's why every time that we gather and the Word of God is preached from this stage, part of what we're doing is not just teaching what it says, but we're also hopefully and prayerfully building into our lives the muscle memory that says, how do I use God's word? Early in this series, I introduced a word, and I want to just remind, it's our hermeneutic. Our hermeneutic is how we interpret scripture, how we read the word of God. And so we start with the fact that the Bible is God's word. From the very beginning of Genesis to just before maps, Genesis through Revelation is the word of God. All of it. It is true. It is truth. So that's where we start. Is this an article of faith? Absolutely. But if you choose not to go that direction, your your choice, your decision. But then how do you determine what is true? How do you determine what is real? I've shared this story before, but it is so on point, I'm going to share it again. If you've, if you've heard this story before, just nod knowingly and shout amen at the end of it. If you've never heard it, I hope God uses this. David Hughes, my good buddy from Fort Lauderdale, and I were fishing down in the Florida Keys. And the way that we were fishing on this particular day, the guide had parked the boat on a line that we were hoping the fish would be swimming on. And he anchored the boat, it's a, it's a little skiff, about 18 feet long, three of us on the boat, it's cozy, anchored us into the bottom of the Atlantic floor. You're in about eight to 10 feet of water. 
And we sat there and we waited for fish to come by. Well, we noticed that over about 30 or 45 minutes, the boat had actually kind of drifted further out into the ocean because he had put the anchor down in some really soft, sandy bottom. And so we had noticed this and kind of commented on it. And all of a sudden, David and I are on the front of the boat. The guide's on the back looking for fish. All of a sudden, he starts to disrobe on the, on the guide's platform. And I don't know if you've ever been to the Florida Keys, but things can get a little weird in the Keys. And so I was a little concerned. But what happened was he disrobed and dove in in his underwear, dove in, swam down the anchor chain, and then stuck the anchor in a bed of something solid. It wasn't coral, but it was something solid on the bottom of the ocean floor. He swims back to the boat, climbs in, dries off, and we go back to fishing. About 90 seconds after he had pulled his last limb back in the boat, we see this shadow in the water coming, and we're thinking, fish. But it wasn't a fish. It was an eight-foot bull shark that had heard him splashing in the water and resetting the anchor, and it swam right by the boat on a line that he had been swimming on about 90 seconds before. We were like, bro, glad you got back in the boat. I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell him, get back in the boat. Get back in the boat. The Word of God is where we stick the anchor of our lives. You and I live in a world of shark-infested waters. Truth is relative to the world. To you and I who follow, to you and me who follow Christ, truth is truth. Absolute truth. Now, we don't know it absolutely. We don't interpret it perfectly, but we make the effort. We're not coming and going with the wind of every new fad and fashion and thought and philosophy that the world dreams up. We come back to Scripture where there is no revelation, where there's no divine guidance. People run wild. That's why our lives feel out of control sometimes because we've made decisions consciously or subconsciously by design or by default that take us away from the vision and the values that we were created to enjoy and to experience and to live out. Core values are those, those principles, those truths, and we are, as believers, we root them in Scripture. They are an overflow of our belief and our faith. And so when we talk about core values, we're gonna talk about exactly how to articulate your own core values and how to make the time to do that. But before we do, I think it's important that we understand um, what articulated core values and what demonstrated core values are. So articulated core values, articulated core values are what you say your values are, what you say your values are. That's what we're doing today. We're gonna make the time. We're gonna prayerfully say, God, show us, give us some divine intervention. Give us some divine guidance as we articulate each of our own core values. Those are your articulated, but then your demonstrated core values. So if your articulated core values are what you say your values are, your demonstrated core values are what your life says your values are. 
what your life says your values are. So what your neighbors may see that your values are, what your children who live in your home, if you've never articulated it and you ask your kids, what do you think our values are? It's the choices you make and the actions you take, what they say that your core values are. And um, educator, counselor, and consultant, Kim John Payne wrote the book, Simplicity Parenting. And he writes this, you can see what a family holds dear from the pattern of their everyday lives. You can see what a family holds dear from the pattern of their everyday lives. Your values are visible in your calendar and your bank account. Your values are visible in your calendar and your bank account because your values determine how you spend your time and your money. And so it's really easy to get away from if you say, oh, these are our core values. But if you let life, if you start to drift and let life take you down that road and you follow the current of culture and the current of world, then you will say, oh, wait a minute. I'm not demonstrating those values that I said that we held so dear. And so you have to redirect and come back. And if you are feeling Uh, extremely overwhelmed, stressed, or a lot of angst, this is a great time to press pause and say, you know what? Are my demonstrated values and my um, articulated values, are they in sync? Are they aligned with one another? And then if you're having conflict with a spouse, conflict with a friend, conflict at work, press pause and say, wait a minute, are we having conflict because of our values? Also, if you're having a tough time making a decision, then oftentimes it is because you have competing values. So we have the value in our family of responsibility. And so that's a huge value for us. And so we are sometimes pulled because we feel responsible to maybe volunteer in this arena, but then also we already have a commitment here. And those are conflicting values and they are competing values. And so when you begin to write your values down and pray about what they are, first you wanna say, okay, let me look at my life and is there an area where I'm feeling angst and can I make some changes? And then you say, you know what, um, our, this big decision is our angst a result of number one, our articulated and our demonstrated being out of sync or do I feel like we have competing values right now? We've used this passage throughout the series, but I, I, it's so, again, so spot on I don't want to not end this series with this reminder. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. There is so much packed into that. I think a lot of times I have chosen to decide for myself what I wanted to do or what I thought was the best answer, knowing that it wasn't totally in sync with my articulated values. It wasn't totally in sync with with who God was calling me to be, who God was leading me to be. And what I realized is it was because I trusted myself more than I trusted God. If I... If I make a decision that leads me away from who God created me to be, who God has called me to be, then I'm participating in my own brokenness. Whereas if I choose to trust God, the the great, great old hymn, trust and obey, there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey.
that sounds super simplistic. It just happens to be a thousand percent real to trust and obey. Then you will see God's will, which, by the way, is good and pleasing and perfect. Jeremiah 17, I, I listed as a reference there. I'm not going to put it on the screen. I just want you to listen to these words from God's word. Jeremiah 17, 7 through 9. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought or exhausting decision-making. Their leaves stay green, and they never stop producing fruit. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? The Word of God is there as a gift. My heart will lead me astray. My heart can be wrong. God's given me emotions and drives. That's a good thing. But those emotions and drives many times can take us away from who God is and what he created us for. So we have to be really, really careful and remember that as we articulate our values. Now we're going to just hit you with five things to consider when you're um, articulating your core values. And I promise you it'll be worth your time. Um, it is work, but it is worth it. And you start by being mindful. Pay careful attention to your own work. Pay careful attention. Be intentional. Look at your life. And so we start with open your mind and heart. Open your mind and heart. God, I am an open book to you. I am looking for that divine guidance. I am looking to you. You've created me. You've called me out. What is your vision for my life? What are my core values? And when you do that, when you go to God with an open mind and heart, you must be willing to make changes mm. because it's possible that when you look at it, you go, oh, my demonstrated are not in line with my articulated and I need to make some changes. Some of the changes maybe you need to make instantly. Other changes maybe, maybe gradually, but you go into it with honesty and humility. Say, God, I, my desire, and I know your desire is that I live a full life. John 10, 10, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, an abundant life, an overflowing life. So we know that is God's design for our life. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will show you which path to take. So now I'm trusting, and now I'm leaning in and saying, God, guide me. I'm looking to you. You created me. You know what my values need to be. You know how what my articulated values should be. And so I go with an open mind, willing to change if necessary, and willing to be different from the people around me if necessary. And that is harder. We pray for wisdom and discernment, and that is great. We need it. But following wisdom and discernment, you must pray for courage and discipline because it is very courageous to say, God, you've called me out, so now what are my values? What path am I taking? What is your vision? And I'm ready if it looks different than what I expected and different from those around me. It's a very courageous thing to open your mind and heart. And then second, so open your mind and heart, then brainstorm characteristics and concepts that are important to you. Think about what are the characteristics, what are the traits, what are the habits what are the themes that are important to me? 
Brainstorming means there's no magic number to start this process, and there's no wrong answer. Just start considering, okay, what's important to me, to my core? God, show me. I'm going to pay careful attention to my own um, work. I'm going to look at my heart honestly and with humility. So I'm going to give you some ideas. When you look up how to articulate core values or how to write core values, whether you're doing it for an individual, for a business, for a family, for a company, whatever it is, you will find some lists. And there are a million different lists. Some lists have 1,042 on them. Other lists have 10. There's no magic answer. And one source that I read said, don't look at any list because it'll guide you in a direction. Uh, do what you wanna do, but I'm gonna give you some ideas. It may be something like community, faith, health, clarity, recreation, loyalty. There's no wrong answer. It could be appearance, it could be adventure, reading, prayer, learning, whatever it is, you just start brainstorming and writing down things that are important to you, characteristics and traits. Here are some things to consider as you brainstorm. Consider your meaningful moments in life. Think about those and then think, okay, why was that meaningful? Mm. Is, there, is there a core value being revealed there? Um, consider people that you admire and then think, why do I admire them? What are the traits that I admire? Consider when you feel you're at your best, like this is so who I am and think, what was I exhibiting? What traits do I see there? What characteristics, what habits, what was it about that that makes me feel that was true to who I am? And then consider how you make difficult decisions. What are the things that you consider when you're making difficult decisions? Exactly. And those four are huge when you are articulating your values. Okay, so one, open your mind and heart. Two, brainstorm characteristics and concepts that are important to you. Number three, start to group those characteristics and concepts into themes. You, you will find some of them kind of fit together. Things like faith or family or work. The, the big areas of life, start to group those into themes and as you do that, you're going to start to see some patterns emerge and you're going to begin to prioritize. So far, we haven't even prioritized. When you're brainstorming, don't say, well, that's not important. If you thought about it and you think, hey, I like that one, put it down. Here, now you're starting to kind of narrow the funnel a little bit. You're starting to go, okay, these are all values and things that matter, but these are, these are the non-negotiables. These are the hills that I will die on in terms of my calendar, in terms of my wallet, in terms of how I spend and live my life. Group those things into themes, and then finally, number four, start to list your top core values. Take five, four, five to ten, and list them. Prioritize. What are the ones that matter the most to me? Let's say, let's just say for the sake of conversation that faith in God is number one. Let's just say that, okay? Well, how does that play out? Okay, how important is it to you? what kind of church you're a part of, how you allocate your time for prayer and ingesting and reading God's word. All of those things fall under that heading. And so you start to prioritize them and list them. And then number five, take that list of five or 10 and narrow it down to three to five. Three to five. You, you can't have 15 core values. You can't do that. But you can do three to five. The, these are the things that matter the most. And, and how that plays out, that's a different part of the conversation, but this is about articulating, listing them. And it's important 
for a husband and wife, it's also important if you're not married. It's, it's so important for us to have a vision for our lives. And when you have that vision, that's going to help you figure out who you ought to even go out on a date with if you're single. They'd be like, yeah, that's a different set of vision and values. Deuces. So that's, that's why this is so, so, so important. And when you talk about three to five, there, there's no magic number for core yeah. values. There, there's no, and it's different for everyone. And if you're a person that likes an acrostic and, oh, you can put them all 10, you know, and spell a <laughs> word, that's amazing. The goal is to do it in a way that you can remember. Yeah. Because in, in an ideal world, you can spout them off and then you will actually use them as you make decisions. You will use them as you talk to your children. You will use them as you go about your day life. In our family, for instance, um, I have, my mind goes all the places all the time. And so I have to really zone in and fixate on a few things. And so our vision is to, you know, teach our kids to love God, his house, and his ways. That's it. And then our values are authority, responsibility, gratitude, and honesty. Authority, responsibility, gratitude, and honesty. And everything falls under that. Under responsibility is a lot of things. Under authority, a lot of things. But we've narrowed it down to that. So when we would talk to our children, should we do this or this? Should we play in this sport or that sport? Should we, you know, uh, go to this school or that school? Well, let's come back to our values. And you begin to talk to them about it. And you begin to say, you know what, as a couple, how are we making this decision? What does God say about it? And then how does it align with our values? Does it align with God's? word and does it align with our values and I'm just telling you it will clarify and it is a process it's a process for sure so as you clarify you will simplify but I'm going to tell you it takes a long time and then you'll see things shift in your life maybe in a different stage of life okay our our values our core values are the same but how they play out is different but you want to cling to those and it is worth taking the time making the time to do that this is, this is one of those serendipities that happen every now and then in the life of a pastor. I, I felt like God was leading us and leading me to lead us into this series on decision making, especially as we started a new year. I thought, man, what a, what a great way. You can do resolutions, and, and that's great. I've, we've done that before, yada, yada, yada. But I thought, I felt like God wanted us to really drill down into decision making, and not just what decisions, but even as a basis, how do we make those decisions? To, to, to put a bow on it, when we talked about pros and cons, a, a pro is one who professes his or her faith in every decision, in every choice that we make. And those, those seasons do ebb and flow. But our faith, that's the thing that anchors every decision that we make. It, makes, it anchors every motive behind every decision that we make. And so it, it's, as I said a second ago, the, the serendipity in this is that we get to end this series where everything begins. It, it's, a, it's a full circle kind of moment when you remember the ultimate decision is the decision that God has placed in your hands in my hands personally, whether or not to follow Christ, whether or not to choose to trust Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, to choose to believe that 
God raised him from the dead on the third day after the crucifixion, and that that resurrection has power to change my life, to change my mind, to change my heart, to change the way I live, and to trust that more than I trust myself, more than I trust my culture, that God has invited us into this relationship of love. People have asked this question, and I've wondered the same thing, like, if, if, if God created us and knew that sin was going to enter into the world, why did he give us the choice? Why did he just make us so that we would never mess it up? It's a great question, by the way. And it makes sense until you bring in love, until you bring in the fact that we're created for relationship with this God, this interaction. There, there's a reason why you can never say, these are my values and I can always live them out. It requires constant renewing of our minds and our hearts. It requires constant engagement, constant relationship, constant prayer, constant scripture study and, and metabolizing and living out because ultimately it's a relationship. If Julie and I had gotten married 31 years ago and she had given me a checklist and said, here you go, first of all, I'd have been thrilled. That, I mean, you talk about it, that would have made everything. I've been like, great, as long as I do the list, she's going to be happy and kiss me goodnight every night. Because that's really, I mean, that, anyway. So, but you know, I, I figured out, not like immediately, it took me a while, but like I'm supposed to pay attention to her. I'm supposed to see how her mood may change, how seasons of our life together may change, and when I pay attention and respond accordingly and lovingly, lo and behold, it's better than if I follow a checklist. It, it's, it's richer. It's deeper. The hard stuff makes the good stuff that much better. And all I can tell you is, in my relationship with Christ, it's that times a squillion. The hard stuff that God has carried us through the hard things that you've been through make that relationship so much deeper, so much richer, so much more profound. And if you've never begun that relationship, if you've never stepped into it, what a perfect way to take this teaching series and begin to put it into practice. Jesus said in Matthew 22, the greatest command is you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest of the laws. I think there's something in all of us that kind of recoils a little bit from law, like we have to. I don't want, remember, the laws of God are a gift. God has given us his law. He's given us his truth. He's given us his grace to show us how to live this life in the way that we were designed to live. And when you understand that the greatest command is actually an invitation to the greatest decision, to love God with everything that you've got, to follow him, to trust him. I want to ask you, if you will, bow your heads for just a moment. In this moment, whether you're in the room or you're online, we want to invite you to do just that. If you've never chosen, made the decision 
to profess faith in Christ. We want to extend God's invitation to you. Invite you to decide to follow him. In this way, just as our heads are bowed, pray silently where you are and just say something like this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I need you. And so I confess my sin to you. Thank you for explaining to me that that sin, that brokenness in my life is a deal breaker, but you have restored my relationship with you in Christ. And so Jesus, in exchange for your life on the cross for me, I will give you my life and follow you. I pray this prayer in your name. Hey, if that was your prayer, this is the biggest moment of your life. As a church, we get to celebrate that with you. And we have the opportunity to help with what's next because this is just the beginning. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if you would, if that was your prayer, would you raise your hand? Just raise your hand and hold it up high if you made that decision to follow Christ. If you're online, let your online host know. In just a minute, we'll explain kind of how we can help with what comes next. But in this moment, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, our family tradition around here is as you put your hands down, we're going to put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.